0: Mutaz Essa Barsim of Qatar and Gianmarco Tamberi of Italy had dreamed and talked about this moment for so long. Separately and together, the Olympic final in the men's high jump, gold medal on the line, triumph and redemption at their fingertips. And then the moment came two weeks ago. And when it came, it came with a beautiful wrinkle, a mess that neither one of them could have anticipated, but both thoroughly enjoyed. When Barsim and Tenberry both cleared seven feet, nine and one quarter inches on their their jump and then failed to clear the next one, they were tied for first. And they were left with a choice, a byproduct of a strange exclusion in a 135-page rule book. They could either have a jump off for the gold or they could share it. The official hadn't even finished explaining this obscure rule before Barseem in, jumped in and interrupted him and said, Can we share it? Can we both have gold? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, then we'll take it. We'll both have the gold. They didn't even need to talk. They just looked at each other, locked eyes, and that was the decision. And so, in an unusual twist, there are two gold medalists in the men's high jump at the Tokyo Olympics. Look at these guys. I love this. Isn't that beautiful? Sounds to me like those two men had their priorities right. Thank you so much for being here today. For those of you joining us in the room, I'm grateful that you're here. Uh, take a second, fill out your connection card. Let us stay in touch with you. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. want to encourage you to uh, continue to do that each week, and especially if you're watching on YouTube, um, you know to to grab a different device and, and fill out that so we, we know that you're there. Uh, grateful for that. A couple things to let you know about today. One really important announcement is we're having a blood drive this week. Uh, Versity Blood Services of Indiana is going to be here uh, in the building, and there's information in, about that in your bulletin, so please uh, pay attention to that. It's a crucial need. has been through this whole pandemic. It's not um, you know, lessened in any way, uh, and so if you're able to, to help that way, uh, both in terms of your schedule and your Blood production, <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's a good thing. And then also, I want to encourage you to be in prayer. Uh, Lynn Gregory, our brother, passed away this week, uh, just yesterday. We don't have any annou- announcements on the arrangements yet. Um, And so uh, we'll email those out, which is another reason it's really important that you fill out your connection card, because we can't tell you about that important stuff if we don't have your email. Uh, We don't spam your inbox or anything like that. We're careful with it. But um, if you could help us out that way, we'd like to let you know. Uh, Just be in prayer for Lynn's family. Uh, Lots of health struggles toward the end, but he hasn't been here long. But boy, he sure forged a connection uh, deep with a lot of our guys. Uh, So can we just take a second and pray for Lynn's family right now? God, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us together in uh, freedom and peace and safety uh, to turn our attention to your word. Um, God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, many of whom have to meet in secret. We just ask you to make them strong for their trial. Pray that we would use every privilege and advantage we have for the sake of your gospel uh, to spread it out. And uh, God, we just lift up Lynn's family to you as they uh, grieve his passing, but God rejoice in his hope of heaven. I'm um, grateful for him and the time that we got to get to know him uh, and just ask your blessing on, and comfort on his family uh, in their time of grief. Thank you for your word. I pray that it will nourish and strengthen our souls today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are starting a, a new sermon series today called Messy Church. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, last week, Fred asked you to read uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Hope you had a chance to do that this week. Um, I'm not, we're not going to read the whole thing. Paul did tell Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. I'm not against reading at all. It's just, it's long. And and we need to drill into what it's saying in order for us to have time to do that. I hope you did the reading on your own. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 3 and 4. So please be reading that in advance to kind of be, be up on what we're talking about. We're starting a new series today called Messy Church, and, and the content, is original to us but I have to tell you I borrowed the idea from my friend Caleb Kaltenbach he wrote a book called Messy Grace Um, this is a fantastic book It's, uh, it's about how a kid with two homosexual parents who came out to each other when he was two true story Uh, grew up to be a doctrinally orthodox Christian pastor who's trying to reach LGBTQ plus people with the gospel, along with everybody else. Uh, And it's about how to create a culture of, you know, just of love here without sacrificing your conviction. Just this past week, released a follow-up to this called Messy Truth, about how to maintain your Christian convictions how to maintain your core Christian beliefs and still reach people who are very far from God and who maybe have a worldview that not only is either um, in opposition to God's worldview, passively, but even actively opposed to it. And, and so it just came out, I, I would recommend them highly. Caleb, is, he's a good man. I've known him since Bible college. He's a friend of mine. Yes, he knows he looks like Uncle Fester. That's not his fault. Um, He's aware of it. Uh, He is a true servant of Jesus. He's doing good work. Uh, And you owe him a debt of gratitude without even knowing it. Um, Because he was an influence on me. He'd be good influence on you if you read his stuff. Uh, He's also the one responsible for bringing Jason and Chapel Rock together. Uh, Jason Scott, our discipleship pastor, and incidentally, the one responsible for bringing Jason and Shauna Scott together. Um, he, play, he was their yenta. So, uh, <laughs> and, and by the Shauna, thank you for sharing with our ladies uh, this, this week. Appreciate that. And just the, the Caleb's been an influence that way. It, it's kind of cool. Um, our point today is this life together, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, life in the church is just messy. You bring a, a group of people this size, and you bring all our brokenness together, and it just kind of compounds the messiness. And that hasn't changed since Paul wrote to the Corinthians. I mean, if there's a contest out there for the messiest church, I think the Church at Corinth would win. Hands down. hands down, they were messy. And we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. Here's what I want you to hear me say today is this. Listen, Paul alluded to this earlier, Paul Vink. God loves you just the way you are. God loves you in the middle of your mess, no matter how messy your life is, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Here's the thing. This is a tension, church, that I think we need to live in. This was Paul's message to the Corinthian church. God loves you in the middle of your mess, but he loves you too much to let you stay like that. And there's a danger that we face of falling on one, one side or the other of this tension. On one side, we can say God loves you no matter how messy your life is, and you don't have to do anything about it. You just be messy. Well, that's not what he's saying. The other side of the tension is you better get your act together if you want God to care about you. And well, that's not true either. It, it's, this, it's this tension. No matter how messy you came into here today, God loves you infinitely. He sent his own son to die on the cross for you. But he loves you too much to let you stay like that. Okay, he wants the mess ultimately to get clean. And so that's the posture in our culture that I believe Chapel Rock needs to take, right? That we will embrace with radical hospitality people whose lives are a mess so that they can find wholeness in Jesus and not just feel good about being a mess. Okay, what I'm saying is that we need to get okay with messiness at church, people bringing in their mess. We need to get okay with that. And this is not an either or thing, it's a both and thing. And we need to be okay with the hard work it takes to clean people up at church. It's both. It has to be both. Because that's the essence of the gospel. While you were yet sinners, God loved you and died for you. You were a mess. And he he, he sent Jesus to die on the cross in your place for your sin to help clean the mess, to make you conformed into the image of his son. That's where Paul begins this letter. Now, there are a couple things I need you to know about letters in the first century. First of all, they were generally not this long, okay? Most letters in the first century were about as long as 3 John. That was normal. So, can you imagine being the church at Corinth? Hey, you got a letter from Paul. Oh my word, it's forever, right? Like, it's just this this crazy, crazy long letter from Paul, okay? The the other thing you need to know is that in letters in the first century, and we see this um, throughout the Roman world, Uh, Cicero was famous for this, uh, the Roman orator. In the beginning of the, they they say who it's from, they say who it's to, and then there's this greeting, and kind of a, 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 in a religious letter, it's a prayer, In a secular letter, it's a health wish that they would, I hope you're doing well. In that point, in the welcome and the health wish or prayer, they articulate the theme of the letter. This is what it's about, all right? And we can see this a little bit in the first couple verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at that with me. Paul writes, Paul, that's who it's from, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this guy, you can read about his story in Acts 18. Took a beating for Jesus. <laughs> That's something, right? Um, we're not sure, did, is this the guy who helped? Was Paul's copywriter? It's called an amanuensis, was the, the, the term. Um, remember, this is before Xerox. This is before a sent folder. And when you, when you sent a letter, you, and we'll talk more about this in coming weeks, you had to pay personally to have someone make a fair copy to send on. You kept the original so that when you got an answer back in six months, you would remember what it is you'd said, okay? And so you send on a copy. So maybe Sosthenes is the guy who's making the copy to send on. Um, Paul also you know, gave like Timothy a byline in some of his letters, Paul and Timothy. So maybe it's that function. We don't know for sure, but he's, one of, he's part of Paul's missionary team, okay? As this, this guy Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, "...and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours." So who's his audience? Well, people who have responded to the gospel people who have been sanctified, who have been made holy by the shed blood of Jesus. In verse 4 through 9, then he goes on and he gives this prayer, this health wish, and he'll talk about how his prayer for them is that they will faithfully use the gifts of God's grace given to them through the gospel to live out the gospel until Jesus comes again. There's a heavy gospel emphasis at the beginning of this. Paul is making this appeal to the gospel. Here's what he's telling him. Here's our big idea this morning. The first thing a messy church needs to do is to get her priorities right. And the number one priority is the gospel. Now, you'll notice I use the term her, the feminine pronoun, to address the church. I'll tell you why. It's not wokeism. It's not that. It's that that's what the Bible says. The church is the bride of Christ. And almost universally throughout Scripture, if a gendered pronoun is applied to the church, it's feminine. It's just that's that's the way the Bible refers to her. And part of our in our movement in the Restoration Movement Christian Church, there's this slogan: Bible names for Bible things. So that's what the when the Bible refers to the church with a gendered pronoun, it's feminine. That's what I'm going to say because that's what the Bible says. Okay. So the first thing a messy church needs to do is to get her priorities right, and the number one priority is the gospel. The church at Corinth was a mess. And we'll talk about the specifics as these weeks roll on. But one of the biggest messy areas was that their priorities were way, way out of whack. In fact, you could say that the whole letter is Paul instructing them on how to get their priorities straight. I mean, he just kind of takes them one by one as he goes through this. But there are three problems here, three priorities that are out of whack that Paul addresses in these first couple chapters that really set the Corinthian church up for failure unless they found a way to clean the mess, to get their priorities right. Here's the first problem. Number one, there was too much of a priority on celebrity. Too much of a priority on celebrity. Now, this isn't quite Galatians, you know. In Galatians, Paul just, I mean, hi, good to see you. Bam! I mean, he just jacks them, right, at the beginning of it. It's not quite like that, but he comes out swinging, right? He, he, he couches it as an appeal, but it's a critique. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Now, by the way, I will tell you, uh, in reference to the gender comment earlier, the term sisters is not in the original text. It's just brothers. It's the Greek word adelphoi, okay, which means brothers. But it's a a term of generic address. They use the term brothers because that was common back then. He means the whole body. And so the NIV rightly adds sisters here because he's talking to everyone, all right? It's just like me saying to you, my friends, well, some of you, I'm, quite good friends with. Others of you, we've never actually even had a conversation, but it's a term of of endearment and address, okay? So it's it's that idea. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Okay, hang on a second. Is he saying that we, for us to be a true church, we have to agree on every single little thing? We have to agree on the gospel. That was what he'd been talking about prior to that. Say, well, Casey, you sound like you're dismissing what he's saying. I'm clarifying what he's saying. Because we, if you go on and you read Romans 14, Paul clearly describes a, a process by which we can disagree about stuff. It, it, they're matters of opinion. He, and he talks about how to do that with love, and it's beautiful. And if you, have, if you struggle with that, go read Romans 14. And then do what it says. All right? So he, he's not talking about, like, we have to all vote the same and think the same and like the same food. Oh, my goodness, help us. No. He's saying that we need to agree on the gospel, that that core of what we believe has to be the same, okay? And and you better not be divided about that. Verse 11, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter, the apostle. Still another, I follow Christ. He's talking about these quarrels. Now, that's the noun form of a verb that meant to express a difference of opinion with a fair degree of hostility. (laughs) The Quarrel is maybe the nicest way to put it. They're bickering. They're fighting. They've formed into little cliques gathered around personalities. They've, They've got these Christian celebrities that they've all kind of clustered around and they're bickering about whose person is the best person. Now, this was really common in Paul's day. The Greek philosophers did this. They even taught that you need to form an emotional attachment to me. They would tell their disciples. These philosophers would tell their followers, you need to form an emotional attachment to me to propagate my philosophy. All right. And the rabbis did the same thing. The rabbis would go out and the, apostle, or the, the disciple would have to apply to be their follower. And if they picked him, it was an honor. And, and then they would, they would say, you have to follow my teaching and my understanding. And I thought, well, that was just a little historical nugget until this week. Deb and I, just for fun, we really like watching Rick Steves travel stuff. It's fun. It's just, he's got a good sense of humor. I believe he's a brother in the Lord. I think he's Lutheran. And it's just neat. He has a very, when he presents stuff about Christian history, especially in Europe, it's very positive. It's just neat to hear someone actually have a good opinion <laughs> of our past. And um, it's becoming quite novel. Anyway, uh, we are watching. He did a special on Israel. And he goes into this little shop. And there's all these tchotchkes of rabbis. Like current rabbis, you can go in Israel today and get a picture of your favorite rabbi and hang it in your house. I follow that guy. This is front page news, y'all. This is still happening. And some of you, some of you, if I were to open up your podcast app, you do the same thing. You got a teacher that you just think is the best ever. There were at least four different clicks. In this church you have the Paul group you have the Apollos group now Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria who'd been trained in all the rhetorical art of the Greeks Apollos was probably the greatest public speaker in the early church the most just naturally gifted and he'd been trained he was just flat good in fact, he may have been even the author of the book of Hebrews. We don't know for sure who wrote it. He, he's the most likely candidate based on what we know about who, you know, the author and, and his life. So you have some who are following that guy, All right? You've got the Cephas group. That's Peter the apostle. And the, the Christ group he mentions, which is like, well, that's the right answer, right? Like that's what we're supposed to do. But they were not doing it right. They were being prideful about it. They were being arrogant. Well, I follow Jesus. You know, well, you're kind of horrible at it because you're being a jerk. Um, you know, it was, you've got this, this focus on celebrity. There's an article recently in the Christian Post, and of all people, Justin Bieber weighed in, this is true, he weighed in on the whole, like, Christian celebrity pastor thing that's happening in our culture and how these people use religion and their outsized influence in it to boost their own fame and profile. And he talked about how he'd seen celebrity worship invade the church. He said, quote, it's like this guy has this ultimate relationship with God that we all want, but we can't get because we're not this guy. That's not the reality, though. The reality is every human being has the same access to God. End quote. Now, I'm not saying this to put him down. I'm saying this to publicly praise the young man. (laughs) When Justin Bieber is calling you out on your ego, you got a problem. (laughs) That's a mess. I believe he's a brother. Um, Judah Smith has influenced him pretty significantly. Um, and, And I look forward to hanging out with Justin one day in heaven. I hope he continues on that path. That's what this Corinthian church had done. That's what they'd done. They'd put these people on these pedestals. So what's the solution? Well, look with me at verse 13. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one could say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul just destroys their wrong prior- priority by asking, is Christ divided A more literal translation would be, has Christ already been divided among you and continues to be so? And in fact, the Greek language has a function whereby you can ask a question and imply the correct answer in the question. And when he does that, the implied answer, the right answer is no, Christ is not divided. Paul says to stop prioritizing human teachers and instead focus on the solution. Focus on Jesus crucified. That's the focus. Paul knew what his mission was, to preach a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb, and his message was 100% on that. And he knew if he kept the main thing, the main thing, everything else would work out. I love his admission here. He says, listen, if someone's preaching is so good that they don't need the Holy Spirit to convict people, it's actually not good preaching. He says, you can't be saved until you see your need for the cross the solution to putting people on a pedestal is to stay focused on the cross. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the ground at the cross is level. And it doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You need Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. That is the core of the message. And when you focus on a person you got your priorities out of whack. But how does that problem even develop? Well, that's the next problem here. Problem number two, there's too much of a priority on superiority. Maybe this is a variation on the idea of celebrity, but Paul does seem to shift his critique away from clicks that form around a personality to the underlying causes of what gets people put on pedestals in the first place. Now, I want to keep this kind of problem-solution format, and in order to do that, we actually need to invert uh, the, the order that the text is, is written in. So look with me at um, 1 Corinthians 1.26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So Paul uses this word. It's this translated think, think. Think of what you were when you were called. And it emphasizes that they need to pay better attention to the situation. You're, you, Corinthians, you're not paying attention to this. And he talks about three classes of people. First of all, he talks about the wise. These are people who are wise by human standards. This is the Greek philosophical class, right? This is the people who are, are they've, they've absorbed all the wisdom of the Greeks, right? All the philosophy and they know Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and they, they know those guys and, and their thinking, all right? And then Paul talks about the influential. These would have been people um, who had generally probably wealthy and had politically, they were well-connected. These are the ones who just have influence in society, probably had some money, they knew everybody, they knew how to grease the wheels and make things happen, right, so that they they had just privilege coming out their ears. And then finally he talks about those of noble birth. That's the aristocracy, that's the, the upper ruling class. In mentioning these things, Paul gives the full scope of nearly everything that human beings use to rank who is superior to the other. In fact, the only thing he doesn't mention is race. He'll save that for another time. He'll deal with that later. But he he talks about how we we tend to rank ourselves and how we evaluate ourselves. And he says that some people, you know, he goes, not all of you were, were wise or influential or of noble birth. And it sounds like this daily affirmation. Do you remember that from Saturday Night Live? The Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Remember that? I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. And there's a little bit of that going on here. Like he says, that you, if you think that's what matters, this, this self-affirmation, you're, you're blowing it. You got it out of whack. Paul's saying, if that's how you determine superiority, you've got it twisted. So how do you clean that mess? We'll look back, we'll, we'll move back a little bit in the text to verse 20. He says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish, that's an important word, the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand science and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, God is no fool. (laughs) This This is a degree of comparison here. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God, God is not weak, is stronger than human strength. See, here's the solution when you start prioritizing people based on these ideas of superiority. The solution is that you need to embrace the scandal of the cross. Paul talks about the foolishness of the cross. The root of the word translated foolishness here is the same root as our word moron. (laughs) I, I learned this actually from one of my kids. Um, She's not in the room right now. I think she's helping out with the trail, which is probably good. Uh, About eight years ago, family movie night, we uh, let the kids watch The Lion King. Uh, Aaron was about four and Eden was about six, like the original, the original animated movie. And, you know, we we just had family prayer time, all prayed together, and we were putting the girls to bed, and Aaron decided to quote a line from the movie, right? She could have picked any line, but she just happened to quote the villain, Scar, when he's surrounded by the hyenas and he says this <laughs> surrounded by idiots <laughs> like, like <laughs> we are right here like we can hear you i'm like what in the where does this come from <laughs> hey here's the thing i have to ask How many times have I avoided living like Jesus because I didn't want someone who does not love him to think I'm a moron? How many times have I avoided doing what I know is right and what I know Jesus wants me to do because of the spirit that indwells me because I didn't want someone in the world to think I'm dumb? How many times have you done that? I need you guys to learn this. I need you to learn this. This is so vital. You want to get through your teenage years? You want to come out on the other end, into your 20s? Some of you in your 20s need to pay attention too. If you want to get through on the other end, you've got to learn this lesson. You just need to not care if the world thinks you're dumb. You follow Jesus. And y'all, you, you can learn from them because they are having to navigate a world that's completely foreign to what you grew up in. You need to pray for them. If you will choose to embrace the scandal of the cross, then you'll have your priorities right. You'll have your priorities right when you embrace the scandal of the cross. Who cares if the world thinks you're dumb? They don't love Jesus. You do. (laughs) And you embrace the scandal of the cross. And when we live that way, verse 28 says, it nullifies the toxic power of superiority. you got to get your priorities right. There's one more problem that Corinth had. There was too much of a priority on rationality. Now, please understand, I want you to hear me correctly, okay? I'm not putting down being rational, not putting down reason. Far from it. In fact, I'm growing increasingly weary of a world that makes decisions based on how they feel rather than good common sense and reason. I'm not putting down reason. I'm standing in critique of those who would elevate human wisdom over divine revelation given through the power of the Spirit. Here's how Paul puts it. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. Look at this. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, when Paul is talking about eloquence here, he's actually using a phrase. I think the English Standard Version did a better job of translating. They translate it lofty speech. He's talking about this kind of ivory tower language. right? It sounds really smart, but there's no soul there. In the ancient world, you could make a good living if you were an effective public speaker before television, before, you know, a lot of other things that we used to entertain us, people would gather just to hear a good speech. Like, that was, you'd get together and do that. And if you were good at it, you could make a really decent living in the ancient world. You know? You didn't even have to believe what you were saying, you just had to say it well. It's like that old Blues Traveler song, right? Doesn't matter what I say as long as I say it with inflection. And the Corinthian church had put a priority on people who could give a good speech but did not know the power of the Spirit, which is kind of messy when you think about what happened later. We'll get into that in a few weeks. So They they, they created this mess. They listened to all these people who, man, they could give a good talk, but did they really know the Lord? So what's the solution? Well, look at verse 6. Paul says this. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that had been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Paul talks about this mystery. Now, in the Bible, that word mystery does not mean something that just nobody can figure out. Rather, it means something that was not understood clearly in the past, but has now been revealed through the power and agency of God. It was something that we didn't know before, but now we do. And that's how Paul describes the gospel, right? There was a time when nobody understood what God was going to do. But in the fullness of time, he sent his son, born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross in our place for our sin. And that through believing in his name, we can have life and life eternal. That's the gospel. The mystery has been revealed. How does it work? I don't know. God decides. It's his universe. I'm just glad to live in it. I'm glad that there's a chance for us to be saved. Paul says the solution to this focus on rationality is to uncover the mystery of the Spirit. To to uncover this, to discover what it means to live in the Spirit of God, to have his presence live in you. Paul says that God has revealed his plan to redeem the world through the gospel. This announcement that Jesus died for us, rose again and gives eternal life to those who believe in his name. It was a mystery for ages but now God has revealed it through Jesus and Paul is telling the Corinthians don't lose the mystery of this. Don't think that just because that you can just define this away with reason. Yes, the truth of the gospel can be learned but ultimately it has to be experienced to be understood. You might be able to explain the gospel But until you've experienced it, you don't understand it. You might get the right words out. I understand it rationally. (laughs) But you've got to experience it in your heart to really get the gospel. Don't put God in a box. Now, we have to be a little careful here. All right? An inappropriate emphasis on or hunger for This mystery can lead you down a path of error. Again, we'll deal with that in successive weeks. As an example of this, let me me give you this quote. A popular Christian author wrote, the moment God is figured out with nice, neat lines and definitions, we are no longer dealing with God. It's pretty good. I agree. You know who said it? Rob Bell. You know who this guy is? Started this church up north. Massive, huge influence. Brand new church plant, starts his church plant with a series through Leviticus. I'm not making this up. His sermon, The Goat Has Left the Building, is a master stroke of Christian preaching. Listen to it. It's good. Somewhere along the way, though, somehow, his life almost reads now like a cautionary tale of everything Paul is warning against in this text. I'm not trying to run the guy down. I'm just trying to say that you've got to watch this. You've got to be careful. I mean, in his words, he's trying to talk about the Jesus message to a world of people who aren't currently listening. Boy, if you listen to a lot of his talk lately, there's not a lot of Jesus in it. I mean, when he was putting out those NUMA videos in the early 2000s, he was all about the Spirit's voice. And now he's so far into mystery and uncertainty, he's no longer certain of the things Jesus seemed quite sure of. Listen, do you want to know the moment that a church begins to die? That moment comes the instant that God is not allowed to surprise them anymore. Do you want to know the moment that a Christian begins to wither in their faith? That moment comes the very second that God is not permitted to push against their preferences and predilections and prejudices. But it also comes when they leave behind the core of the gospel for the stuff at the fringes. I want you to hear me very clearly here. Jesus' mission was not to bring the margins, the fringe beliefs into the middle, but rather to bring the middle out to the margins through the power of the Spirit. He wanted to bring the centering, wholeness-giving power of the gospel out to the very fringes of society by the power of the Spirit. That's what the gospel does. It doesn't bring these side issues into the middle and make them core. It does the opposite. And if you don't get that priority right, you're going to make a mess. You got to have your priorities right. Saw a great story about right priorities a couple weeks ago at the Olympics, didn't we? Marshim and Tambay's sharing of that gold medal appeared to be a wonderful Olympic moment, right? Custom made for the ESPN sports writers. Oh, what a great story! It was about way more than good sportsmanship. You know why? Because those guys have been friends for ten years through all sorts of struggles. In 2016, Tamberi was gearing up for the Rio Olympics when he tore a ligament in his ankle. And he watched his friend, Barseem do the high jump from the stands with crutches in his armpits and tears in his eyes. Two years later at the World Championships, Barseem suffered a similar injury, also at his left ankle, tore a ligament. Tambary helped him get through it. Barseem said, The injury was so bad that we couldn't imagine coming back to jump. Mentally, physically, he's the only one who knows what I've been through. He knows how much it takes. See, in field events like the high jump, the competitors normally get to spend a lot of time together waiting around for your turn, right? These guys have formed a bond. They've formed a connection. One went to the other's wedding, and then when the the first is gonna get married soon, they'll they'll trade that responsibility. They've become brothers through this. These men from different countries have formed an unshakable bond. Do you know why? Do you know why they chose to share that gold medal? It's because they had their priorities right. They valued each other over celebrity and getting their name on the getting their you know picture on the cover of the Wheaties box they valued each other over you know advancing their own personal brand and getting a contract from Nike they valued each other over this immature desire to beat all their opponents i want you to make sure you get this today church hear me the first thing a messy church needs to do is to get her priorities right and the number one priority is the gospel and if you haven't responded to that If you haven't given your life to a Savior who gave his life for you, then you have an opportunity today. Do not leave this room if you haven't made that decision to surrender your life to Jesus in repentance and confession of his lordship and baptism and receiving of the Spirit and discipleship. Respond to the gospel. The number one priority for your life is this message about Jesus. If you haven't responded to it, do it today. If you have marginalized it in your life, repent. If you have pushed the gospel to the fringes and it's just something that you participate in on the weekends and it doesn't change your life every day, then repent this morning. Maybe you'll want to make that decision public. Maybe you just want to do it right where you stand. But as we sing, if if you have allowed the gospel and the message of Jesus' salvation to be pushed to the edge, you need to bring it back to the middle because that's where it belongs and maybe you're here this morning and you have allowed a human teacher to have an outsized influence in your life. And I would encourage you, maybe that is a time of repentance. You spend a lot of time listening to so-and-so and not a lot of time in here. Change that. Fast from that person for a while and spend that time instead with the Lord. I'm not sure how God is working in your heart. I pray that he is helping to reorder your priorities this morning. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and as you think about this and we sing together for you to respond as God leads you today. Let's sing this morning. Let's get this mess cleaned up.